If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, turn to the book of Luke. If you don't have a good Bible at home, there's one at Guest Connections. We'd love to give that to you for free and let that be a gift to you today. Last week, we started a new series for the month of December for this Christmas season, looking at Luke 1 and 2. We worked through the first 26 verses last Sunday. We're looking at Luke 1, 26 or 27 through 56 today. If you're a follower of and believer in Jesus Christ, if you're claiming that he is Lord and Savior of your life, would you say that you're holding your life in an open hand of surrender to him? Are you waking up in the mornings going, today is yours, Lord. May I live for your glory and your name and your mission and your purpose. What about not just your daily life, but your future? Are you holding that here in open hands or are you clinching down tightly fisted? Is your posture that of whatever the Lord wills, I'm going to walk in obedience to His Word. Whatever you determine will be my will, Lord. I will walk in obedience to that. Or is it clinching down saying, Lord, I will determine my will for my life. I will live according to my own authority. I will sit upon the throne of decision-making and shot-calling. Today we're looking at the story of when Mary gets the life-changing news from Gabriel the angel that she will carry and give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. And her response is that of a humble servant of the Lord, this open-handed way of life that says, my life is yours, Lord. See, I think if we were to go around the room today, especially if a mic was in front of you, and being in a church building, you'd pro- we'd probably all say yes, My life is lived in surrender to the Lord. And it's not like we'd be lying, but you know when we really know what we believe about living a life of humble surrender and obedience to the Lord, when that really gets exposed and revealed in our lives, it's when life presses us. When life squeezes us through circumstances, when plans slightly change or radically change, or when it seems when life has gotten a bit foggy. It's in those moments that we're really forced to answer the question, will we live by faith? Will we walk in obedience to God's word? Will we trust that he knows more than we do? Will we trust that he is good, altogether good? Or will we lean on our own understanding and walk by sight? It's when the Lord and his word and his truth says, whatever this is, whatever this is, If it's in direct contradiction to how you and I are currently living, the question we are faced with, will we live in humble surrender to the authority of God's word, or will we somehow justify our actions that are contrary to the truth of word, truth of the word, and and close our fist and says, no, I'm going to live according to my own way. See, real faith in Christ is not just about what you'd confess in a church building. That's part of it. But I would say Equally as important, if not more, is what do you confess? What do you live out the other six days of the week? What do your actions reveal? What do our thoughts and our our attitudes reveal? What do our relationships reveal about what we truly believe about who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And we see that especially in seasons of pressing and uncertainty and unknown. It's in those seasons and moments that the truth of what we truly believe comes out What I found in my life is that the Lord lovingly and patiently, if I've clamped down on something, 
if I have in a sense saying, I'm going to rely upon myself, what I've noticed is that the Lord lovingly and patiently peels my fingers back so that I would live with an open hand. John 15 calls that pruning, cutting away the old dead stuff, cutting that attitude of self-reliance away. Church, this is the Lord's will for our lives, that we live as humble servants of His, and trusting in His wisdom, His word, His ways, in all of life for the rest of our lives. Imagine the generational impact your life could have if for the time that you've been given here on this earth, however long that is, however long or short that is, if we and you would live with an open hand of surrender, saying, Lord, my life is yours completely. Imagine what, what could happen, not only in your life, but in the generations that follow you. Imagine how that kind of attitude would shape a family tree. Students, imagine if you would live that way right now in middle school and high school, how that would affect your friends, your peers around you. If your parents are believers in Christ, I'll let you in on a little secret. This is their hope for your life. This is their hope for your life. That you'd walk in surrender and obedience to Jesus, not just in the future, but now. In this stage of life, however old you are, to live your life with these open hands of worship to an altogether good and powerful God because your, your parents' desire is for you to experience joy in a life that is found only in Jesus Christ. This is what we'll see in Mary. And keep in mind, Mary is a teenager. We'll see three, three realities that she's living out as a humble servant of the Lord. She's living by faith in the Lord. She rejects living by sight. She's living according to the word. She rejects living according to her own authority. And she is living in awe of the Lord, in worship to Him. She rejects living in awe of anything lesser than the Lord. Humble servants of the Lord live by faith. We live according to the word. And we live in awe of the Lord. And we'll see that as we work through these verses. So remember the context of Chapter 1 that we looked at last week. An angel appears to Zechariah in the temple and says, Your wife Elizabeth will have a son, and his name will be John, which means gracious, which means God is gracious. Your prayer has been answered. Even though you're well along in years, the Lord has been faithful to now give you a son. And he will be the one to point others to Jesus. He will prepare the way for the coming Messiah. But Zechariah responds with unbelief. How can I be sure of this? I need more proof. I don't trust your word, Gabriel. I'm old. So is my wife. The angel Gabriel says that because you didn't believe my words, you'll be silent now for the duration of the pregnancy. You need an extended time of listening, Zechariah. Then six months later, we are introduced to a young teenage girl named Mary, verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. A town called Nazareth. This, this town wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. There was nothing remarkable about this town. It didn't have a great source of water. It was rural. It was an agricultural setting. Nazareth didn't have a bunch of signs at the city limits saying, 
proud hometown of and some prominent person. It was kind of a podunk, insignificant town with seemingly insignificant people. Like for me, growing up around here, Nazareth is like the town of... No, I'm not going to give a town. (laughs) I'm smarter than that. I'm more loving than that. I went to grade school in what could be called an insignificant town. Again, I won't name names. Some of you know the answer. But no matter where you grew up, whether it's here or somewhere else, there's probably some, some, some uh, small town that comes to mind. Maybe it was the one you grew up in. Maybe it was down the street, down the road. But a town that lacked importance, if you will. It didn't have a great stigma or status to it. And yet here's Gabriel coming to Nazareth where Mary lived. And continually we see in the Gospels, people describe him as Jesus of Nazareth. And in doing so, we, we see the humility of our Savior on display because he wasn't born in a palace. He didn't come from a prominent town, and yet he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, sent to rescue. Mary is engaged to be married to Joseph, and she's a teenager at the time. And to be engaged to someone at the time was a far greater commitment than it is now. It was a legal binding commitment. To break an engagement was the equivalent of a divorce. So it wasn't a casual promise. Verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. The angel says, greetings, favored woman. In verse 30, he says that you have found favor with God. Let's talk for a minute about this idea of favor. How we often think of favor is is through earthly circumstances. Nowadays, we'd call that hashtag blessed. Maybe here it's talked about favor. So when we think blessed is a promotion at work or a rock star parking spot, especially this time of year, or that snow sticks to the grass but not to the sidewalk, or an unexpected check, physical health, all of those are blessings. But think about Mary's current situation for a minute. Gabriel says that she is favored. She is a blessed woman. That she has found favor with the Lord, blessing with God. She's a teenage girl who's just been told that she's going to be pregnant. She doesn't have a husband yet and lives in a culture where it's not only frowned upon, but punishable by death. This man she lives, Joseph, is probably not going to understand the situation right away. He may end up leaving her thinking that she's committed adultery. She's already financially poor, lives in a no-name town. Her reputation around that no-name town is going to be tarnished. Her key relationship with Joseph is going to be strained if you're looking at the external of her life. It doesn't sound very hashtag blessed right now. It doesn't sound very favored. And yet, she rejoices. We'll see in the end, starting in verse 47, we'll see her rejoicing and worshiping and living in awe of a God who has been gracious to her. The Lord who has been gracious toward Mary, not only through earthly blessing, but we see her rejoicing in that God is her Savior. It's personal. And He has looked with favor on her humble condition. 
Her response to Gabriel there reveals her humility. She is deeply troubled by Gabriel visiting her. There's a, there's a sense of, do you know who you're talking to? Do you have the right number? Do you have the right address? You're in Nazareth. I'm not from a royal family. I don't have any earthly status per se. Who am I that you would show up in all your heavenly glory telling me that I am someone special and favored and that I will carry the child whose reign will never end? She will conceive and give birth to the Son of the Most High, the Messiah that's promised throughout the Old Testament, the blameless one who will be born without sin, for he will be conceived by the Holy Spirit and not by man, so he will, will not pick up the generational sin nature that's been passed down from Adam. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Now Mary's question is similar to Zechariah's earlier in chapter 1. It appears similar on the surface. But Gabriel knew Zechariah's heart and saw that his question came from a place of unbelief, whereas Mary's comes from a place of belief. Zechariah's was, how can I know this? And here's why this is impossible, Gabriel, and, and how can you do this? Mary's was, in a sense, this is impossible, but you can do it. I believe you're able, Lord. How will you do this? Zechariah needed evidence to believe. Mary already believed, and she wanted an explanation. Pastor and author Tim Keller says it's the difference between dishonest doubt and honest doubt. Dishonest doubt responds to God's word and says, that's impossible. That can't be true. Or that can't be for my good. Or that wisdom can't be accurate. It's closed-minded. It refuses to think that God's ways are higher. If you can't comprehend it in the natural, then the dishonest doubt cannot believe that the supernatural can exist. Honest doubt, though, Keller says, is a humble and faith-filled response honest doubt is that of the father in mark 9 who says to jesus when the circumstances seem impossible he says the father says i do believe help my unbelief honest doubt is bringing your questions before the lord in prayer knowing that he's good that hasn't changed he's perfect that hasn't changed he's powerful that hasn't changed and his love for you is unbreakable his wisdom is vast and the encouraging, here, the encouraging thing here is that the Lord actually gives her an explanation. He doesn't have to, but he actually gives her an explanation. And we see in Gabriel's response that he's building her faith. He's reminding her of the power of God. He's reminding her of the sovereignty of God that has led up to this moment in history. And the God who's been faithful throughout the Old Testament is now faithful in the New Testament. The promise-keeping God is also the promise-fulfilling God. Verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age and this is the sixth month for, for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Which is the exact same way that Jesus responds to that father in Mark 9. You should read it this week. That nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38 then. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. 
humble servants of the Lord live by faith in the Lord. Zechariah, when Gabriel came to him, was given good news, and yet his response revealed that he was living by sight. He listed all these natural or earthly facts that should limit God's supernatural ability. But Mary responded with, with humble faith, dependence upon the Lord. Gabriel gave her the Cliff Notes version, didn't lay out every single detail of the pregnancy or what would happen after the birth. There is still a high level of unknown in Mary's life. And yet, she says, I am the Lord's servant. I will trust in Him. If you're breathing in here, you know what you and I have in our lives? Unknown. You might have plans later today. In reality, you have no idea if those will actually come to pass. You might have plans five years from now, ten years from now, a generation from now. In reality, you and I have no idea if those plans will actually come to pass. So what do we do with that unknown? Well, believers in Christ, we don't lean on our own understanding. We don't live by sight. We live by faith in the Lord who does know what is ahead, not only in this life, but in eternity. And He knows us. And just like Mary does here, we live according to the word of the Lord. So as Proverbs 3 says, we don't lean on our own understanding, but we acknowledge Him. We open up our hands. A humble posture of, I am your servant. I'm going to trust that what you've given to me here in the Scriptures is not only true, but for my good and for my life. It reveals that who you are, Lord, it reveals who I am in you and my need for you. It reveals that when I walk in obedience, I do find life even in suffering and in victory. Mary had full confidence that what Gabriel told her was true, that it lined up with the Old Testament at Crosspoint, we want to be a people who are pursuing the posture of being anchored to the Word, not straying from that, but remaining tethered to the Word. To take the words of Mary, we want to live according to the Word. Elizabeth hadn't announced this pregnancy publicly. Mary hears that Elizabeth is pregnant, says, I've got to go see her, I've got to go celebrate with her, going on in verse 39. In those days, Mary set out, and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has, been, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Elizabeth is six months pregnant right now. Jesus, or Jesus has just been conceived in Mary's womb by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist, he leaps in her mother's womb. This baby is known by God. Life has begun. And life has dignity, value, purpose. This moment reflects what Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says. For you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So at this point in the story, Mary is upwards of 100 miles from home. I think it's safe to say that her life is undergoing massive changes in her life. Plans have changed for Mary is a vast understatement. And yet, we see her respond in worship. Because humble servants of the Lord live in awe of Him, even in the unknown. Mary's going to worship the Lord for who He is with her With her words, she's going to magnify and make much of the God who she loves, who knows her, who is at work in and through her, and who is at work redeeming and reconciling the world to himself. Creator God is making a way for his created people who have sinned against him to find their way back home, to find healing, to be in a right relationship with their creator. So she worships in verses 46 through 47. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of a servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. In the remaining time together, I want us to look at verses 46 through 50. What do we see Mary praising the Lord for? Her response or her praise of Him is not some far-off disconnected praise, but it's personal, deeply personal. Because humble servants of the Lord understand not just the truth of the good news of Jesus, but they understand that it's good news for them. It's good news for us. It's personal. Mary says, my Savior, in verse 47. Mary was not sinless. She was in need of a Savior just like you and me. Savior means rescuer. Ultimately, this son is not growing in her body. The the son that's growing in her body, it will be her Savior, the hero, the redeemer, the deliverer, not just for her, but for generations. He will die for our sin and rise again. Verse 48, she sings that the Lord has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Our God knows everything, sees everything. Mary is saying, He knows my situation. He's aware of me. Even though I lack earthly significance, I may be in an obscure place in a small town, but He sees me and He knows me. He is a powerful God, but He's also a present and personal God. Church, be encouraged that if you're in a season of pressing right now, He has not forgotten you. He has not walked out on you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of days in your life. He knows you by name. He is aware. And He is present. He is personal. And He is also powerful. Verse 49, she she calls Him the Mighty One. He's powerful. Nothing is beyond Him. Nothing is impossible with Him. 
Verse 49, he says, or she says that God is holy. No evil can come from Him. He is perfect. He is good. There's no corruption in God. All around us, we see corruption. We see corruption in our own hearts. We see corruption in the world around us. But in God, there's no corruption. No evil, no dark side, no stain. In verse 50, she sings that God is mercy. He withholds justice that we deserve as sinners and gives us grace instead. Undeserved favor. And His mercy just keeps being extended from generation to generation. Mary is in awe of who God is. She's worshiping Him in the midst of circumstances that are changing because her God is unchanging. He's steady. He's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Mary sings, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because He has looked with favor on the humble condition of His servant. Brother, sister, and the Lord, as we move through this month toward Christmas Day, be reminded of the greatness of the Lord and how gracious He has been to you. And how gracious He has been to those around you. How gracious He has been that if you know Christ, that He pursued you and made a way possible for you to be in a relationship with Almighty God. He saw us in our desperate need. He saw that we would not be able to save ourselves. He, he was not blind or indifferent to our need for healing. And here in Luke 1, we see that His salvation plan is unfolding. His pursuit of mankind is unfolding. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, I pray that today it would become personal to you. That if religion or faith is, is just kind of been this far off subject that you've held at a distance, that today it would become personal. That the Christmas story means a rescuer has been born for you. Not for those around you that maybe you point to, but it's, it's you, it's personal. That he is born to die for your sin. God, the Holy One, whose judgment toward our sin is just, and He is also a God of mercy who sent His one and only Son to be born of a virgin, live the sinless life, to die our death, substituting Himself on the cross that was ours to bear and rise again on the third day. He's a risen, victorious Savior. Because our God is the Mighty One. He can beat death. He can beat sin. He can beat the grave. And He is returning. He is the eternal one. If the worship team could come back up. Before we go back into singing, what I would love for us to do is to pause for a few minutes and reflect and pray and in response write some words of praise to our God who has been so gracious to us. This is why the card is on your seat when you sat down. But to, in a sense, respond like Mary is doing here. She's responding in these words of praise. She's saying, here's who the Lord is. Here's what the Lord has done for me. And here's what the Lord will do in the future. No matter what kind of season you're in right now. Maybe life is, in a sense, squeezing you or pressing you. I hugged a brother before this service who's been fighting cancer for months, over two years. Maybe that's kind of the season that you're in. Or maybe everything's awesome. It's green light after green light, parking spot after parking spot, 
everything's awesome. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. But maybe today, for all of us, is this day of surrender. For the things that we have clinched down on, for us to open up our hands saying, Lord, you have my life. You have all of my life. I want to live by faith. I want to live according to your word. I want to live in awe of you. So together, as humble servants of the Lord, let's write words of praise and words of prayer to our Lord and Savior. You're not going to turn these in. What I would love for you to do is share with one person today what you wrote. Maybe somebody in your family, maybe a friend. But I want us just to have a moment here before we sing to enjoy expressing our gratitude to a God who's been so gracious to us.